0: Change and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of The Outer Edge. And welcome to another strange episode of The Outer Edge with Mike Mott and Tim Schwartz. I'm Mike. Tim is over there in the corner. Um, what are you up to over there, Tim? I'm being strange. That's good. You say? You said another strange episode of the Outer Ed,
1: so well, I'm just, just
0: here in the I'm just here in the corner being strange. But you know, uh, it's uh, I'll show you how strange it is. It's actually January 4th where I am, but it's January 5th where you are currently. Okay. I think I've got about another hour of January 4 here, but uh, just uh, hanging out. Glad it's the new year. Glad the holidays are over with myself. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I've been dealing with uh, floods and storms here where I am, in Mississippi. Uh, I li- I'm on the hilltop, but but my living area t- attempts to flood, so I it's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, so I've been dealing with that the last couple of days. That's always a lot of fun. Um, yeah, you had some you had some rough weather.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a down there in Mississippi not too long ago. I mean, there were some tornadoes and
0: yeah, things yeah, like tornadoes that. came hmm. through. Uh, apparently, the area. But the downpour was horrendous, um, unbelievable. I, I feel like we're in India during monsoon season or something.
2: <laughs> how, it,
0: it's got to, where it's it got to where it's like that. It's crazy. But, oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's been like that uh, here in southern
1: Indiana as well. I mean, we've just had just tons of rain. I mean, thank God um, it hasn't we been did. colder than it has been. Else, I mean, we would be. We'd be
0: like, you know, ass yeah. deep and beyond in snow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's all of a sudden it's getting colder and colder after this, this uh, warm front was shoved out by the cold front. So we'll see what happens this week. That's but, right. Uh, the, yeah, the polar, polar vortex. vortex. Yeah. Or, as we used to call it in the good old days, weather. <laughs> oh it's 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 true it's true i mean you know yeah, I mean, it, yeah. uh, you know it, I, people have gotten so used to this so-called warm weather and the last few winters it's gotten colder and colder and i can remember being a kid you know and it would get like super cold in october or even the beginning of october you're like it, it feels like wintertime all of a sudden you know and uh People have gotten used to it not doing that, and, and it's swinging back in that way, in that direction. I think that it's, you know, it's cyclical, and as we've talked about before, and I think we're going back into a cooling cycle. But uh, of course, don't tell Al Gore; he won't believe it. But, uh, <laughs> Although, but I mean i i
1: definitely I definitely believe that you know, I mean the the weather is is swinging a little bit more wildly than it did when you were younger. But I mean that's that's part of the cycles too. I mean, uh yeah what it you know, you compare the cycles of the weather to a human lifespan. Right. And, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, you just, you you can't make those kinds of judgments because, I mean, you know, you're talking about cycles that last hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years. Yes, or even
0: more. You know, you think about this, people think that that weather, yeah, they think in terms of of months and seasons, but it's, it's even beyond geologic time. And geologic time, you know those those are extreme expanses of time by by our measurement mm. but there's you know there's solar time there's galactic time all that stuff mm. oh, actually yeah. affects our weather and people just don't think about that you know yeah yep, so. all kinds of, all kinds of factors
1: hey, did you see uh I, I think it was earlier this week the uh, uh, the CIA uh, apparently tweeted, you know, the, the, yes, even the CIA has their own yeah. Twitter account yeah. that uh, I guess that uh, more than they said that more than half of all UFO reports
0: from the 50s and 60s were caused by them. Yeah, uh, I, I saw that. And it was the most absurd disinformation I've ever seen. It was so stupid. You know, <laughs> the U-2 spy plane, which flies so high. That you can't even see it with the naked eye, but they're going to blame UFO sightings on the U2 spy plane. Give me a break. And other things that they said. I mean, uh, I, I saw today that Bruce McAbee, you know, who is, you know, is my friend on Facebook and, you know, he is the guy when it comes to the visual aspects of UFO phenomena. And he said that this was, it was just ridiculous. He totally debunked everything that they said. And he, you know, he, he's, he works, he has worked as a, as an imaging specialist for the, for the, United States Navy, that's what he does or has done, and he's one of the foremost digital experts on that type of stuff and he said it was just absurd what they said, so you have to ask yourself why are they saying this, what are they trying to uh, convince us of
1: well and it's not like they haven't said this before, the CIA I mean yeah. Um, I mean, I they uh, there's there's been pronouncements from them in the past where they you know uh, tried to lay the blame on the U2 and and, and other spy planes on on UFO sightings and, and naturally I mean you know you've got them the arch debunkers who you know who just immediately come out and say oh, see there you go that explains all UFO sightings so you just might as well forget about it UFOs aren't real they were U2 spy planes yeah you know? exactly. Which you know, that's uh, uh, you know, to me, I, I find that really interesting. You know, considering you know people who have had UFO sightings at treetop and lower levels <laughs> uh, yeah. look yeah. look nothing like U two spy planes,
0: or even the ones that land out behind the barn,
1: right, right. You know, or yeah. ones that that take place in 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 other countries where I mean the U two. Uh, supposedly, was not supposed to be flying that low, <laughs> right? Well, how about the
0: flap over of Washington D.C.? Right, right. Yeah. You know,
1: Nineteen fifty-two.
0: Yeah, freaked out our government.
1: You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So, you know, well, it's it, like
1: you know, it's it's like you said. I mean, why why right now? Yeah, are they yeah. are they coming out with this? You know, um, I I remember it's been about ten years ago or so uh somebody who i guess had been associated with the, the CIA um you know said that uh not only the CIA but i guess other you know intelligence agencies in the united states um i guess that they had a policy that when there would be a fla- ufo flap in a certain area in the past that they would actually send people out to uh, uh, release balloons and, and and other things up into the sky uh, to, I don't know, I, I suppose serve as a distraction or you know maybe if you know, then people would see these things yeah. and, or, or find them, they'd say, see, it was just balloons. Somebody was just perpetrating a hoax. There's no UFO. No, no UFO here, folks. You know, yeah. <laughs> Move along. No, nothing to see here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Always. Mm-hmm.
0: But, you know, it's always been that way. I mean, knowledge is power. Information, whoever controls the information and knowledge can pull the wool over the eyes of everybody else. And, uh, you know, that's basically what intelligence agencies do. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so I guess that that means that the, uh, the UFO that you saw not too
0: long ago around your house was nothing more than a, a what, U-2
1: spy plane? Oh, yeah,
0: that was, yeah, yeah, I saw it, my elderly mother saw it, my son saw it, you know, for a prolonged period of time. Yeah, see, now, and I it,
1: did not it, know it, it, that the yeah. U-2 spy plane had the capacity to hover like
0: that. Hover, uh, flash brilliant lights all over it, different colors and weird formations, then fly by totally silent 100 feet above the tree line um, within, within about 150, 200 yards of the house. With weird panels of light, different colored lights all over it. Um, yeah, it, this it was not. Which I would think that would a defense defeat the purpose. Of any kind.
1: Yeah, I would think that would defeat the purpose of a spy plane to have to have it covered with bright lights like that.
0: Yeah, it would. It, it, what you know, like we talked about back when it happened. You know, what was so weird about it was we were out there watching it for a long time and trying to figure out what it was doing. And it was like flashing and flashing, flashing. And it would send out these little. Uh, um, multicolored strings of, what look like strings of lights at angles off the bottom of it. Or that's what it looked like anyway. And then a big white light in the middle of the top kind of flashing and strobing. And, uh, we wonder what, you know, what, what the hell is it doing? And then an airplane comes flying by a low flying airplane and see where the hill that this thing was hovering over was close to another hill where there's a cell phone tower. Right. And, and it blinks. And so this airplane comes by, flew right over our front yard area, and we're out in the country. Okay, so I say yard, but it's like size of field a field to somebody that lives in a town. Anyway, this this plane flies by real low. It's just like a you know somebody's private plane, and like I guess uh, maybe like a Cessna or something, but mm-hmm. not real fancy one, you know. And it comes flying over real slow for a plane like that, and 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 passes on by heading to the north. And disappears and the sound disappears. And as soon as that plane was apparently gone, this damn thing starts moving. Mm-hmm. So all I can figure is it, since this, since it was elevated up above a high hilltop, it could see that plane coming. And so it's like, well, we're doing something. We better be still. Look, we'll pretend to be a flashing light, just like this other flashing light over here on this right. tower. We'll sit here and just, you know, hide in plain sight and flicker. And and blink and such and then once that plane goes by we can leave and that's exactly what happened because as soon as the plane was out of sight this thing started moving and at first it started kind of drifting to the south in a weird sort of way the little flashing lights went off and the big light was on and then it just came over it turned and like really really fast came right beside us and went shooting off to the east and over some trees like a pine forest out here beside the house and it was low enough that we could see it, and we got a really good look at it. And that's why we did the graphic, which was on that other uh, – I believe that was when we had Merle Fonkhauser on. that. Well, we talk about it there, but uh, there's a graphic there right. on, on the on the page for his show that kind of shows what it looks like. And it looked absurd. It looked ridiculous. It, lo- it was the kind of thing that it looked like um, something that you would design so that if somebody described it, they would be ridiculed or laughed at. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, sure. Well, yeah, to, to I, me, it
1: looked it looked like the spaceship from an Italian science fiction movie. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but, you know, looking at it, looking at it, thinking about it, what it really looked like was a, a saucer shaped object with a dome hanging down beneath it, or a, like a nested series of domes with sort of a bulbous stuff sticking out around it. And then they just stuck a bunch of crap on it. On the, on, the, on the rest of it. They like put up some fins and a fake tail section and a fake uh, thing toward the front to kind of make it look like a nose cone mm-hmm. or colored it that way or something. It looked like somebody half-assed disguised a saucer. That's what it looked like. And what was weird was I talked to somebody else who shall remain nameless, but it turns out that the night before she saw it, uh, I guess about four miles away, the same thing, except it didn't have all the crap stuck on it. But it was mm-hmm. the same object because the thing that she described hanging off the bottom of it was exactly the same. Huh. And she saw it at like 1230 at night. And then again, she saw it in this other, the same field about a week later after our sighting, she saw it again at about 230 in the morning. Hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, something obviously was going on in the area, I guess. But I don't think it was the CIA. <laughs> you, don't, you, you, don't, you, you don't think it was a spy. A UG, I don't think it was a UG spy plane, plane either. You know. Uh-uh. No. I mean, if <laughs> I were going to do a spy plane, I don't think I would have blinking, multicolored, illegal, you know, by FFA, stand, FAA standards, lights all over it. You know, that's not right. the best way to avoid attention <laughs> for your spy for your spy plane. So uh, uh, it's like it's like I mean, a uh, look. let like, say, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. ahead. Finish your thought. I was just going to say, when I say UFO, all I'm saying is unidentified flying object. I'm not saying it's alien. I'm not saying it's from the hollow earth. I'm not saying it's from another dimension. I'm not saying it's Smurfs. All I'm (laughs) saying is it was a weird-looking flying thing, and I don't know what it is. Therefore, it's unidentified, and it was flying, and it was an object. There you go. Yeah, thank you, because that's
1: that's one of the things that, that always irks me when i uh, you know like i'm i'm reading a book or an article you know dealing with ufo's and ufo sightings and the author refers to the ufo's as spacecraft you know the witness saw the spacecraft fly overhead uh i'm you know, like okay now yes. how yes. do you how do you know that that was a spacecraft you know, but you know the witness, Jim, that's, that
0: witness that's what we call an assumption yes <laughs> so you know i mean and it's and it's 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 sort of the dogmatic thing it, you know we've talked about it before on the show you know that uh, it's the it's like the religion of the extraterrestrial hypothesis and don't you dare you know say that it's anything else it, it's the same thing in cryptozoology the religion of bigfoot as a big monkey you know even though bigfoot or hairy humanoids uh, apparently according to witnesses they they exhibit activities and intelligence and things that that no primate uh, ever exhibits, and in fact, in some ways, they they exhibit abilities that are beyond ours. And we're not just talking about how big and strong they are. You know, like being able to vanish in an instant, or or interrupt uh, electrical uh, equipment. You know, things like this. But it doesn't right. usually make it into the crypto reports because it doesn't fit the religion. You know, the paradigm of well, look, it's just a relic hominid population yeah right, okay, yeah so you know it's the same kind of thing, so you know that's why I say when I, when I say that we saw this thing, look, it's unidentified and it's flying, and it's an object. that's all I'm saying
1: mm-hmm. so yep. there you go. yeah yeah, yeah you're not you're not saying it's being piloted by you know little gray men from uh Zeta Reticuli or anything like that. No no, and, you know and all. For, all, for
0: for all we know, it could have been some some really, really advanced knitting circle of grandmothers. We don't know who's flying this thing.
1: Uh, there you go. No. I never, I never, I never considered that possibility. I mean, know, you know? I'm not going to say who it is because I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, that's you know when you say something like that, though. I mean, that's to me, that's an interesting thought because that that you know that kind of almost smacks of the. Uh, um, I guess what what do they call it? Not not the uh, Richard Dolan uh, is one of the proponents of it, Uh, and 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 our friend Olaf Phillips also talks about the uh, um, not. uh, It's more than the the seek of breakaway civilization. Breakaway civilization. Thank you, thank you very much. You know,
0: but you know, Tim, uh, there are some of us that have been writing about possible, I guess you could call them, previous breakaway civilizations that go back thousands of years. Oh sure, sure. Yeah. For a it's long time, a long. we've been writing about that stuff, you know, oh, yeah. and talking about it. But yeah, I mean, they're talking about it more in terms of more recent history, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, the Nazis and and other groups. So, well,
1: what, once again, it's one of these things that you know, uh, it's it's become you know popular to write about it, and everyone's acting like like, hey, this is a new idea. <laughs> but when it true. when it comes to weird stuff like this, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. That's right. Nothing you know, it, new. So, so, yeah. so, all of you, uh, all of you, young researchers and investigators out there, you know, there is nothing new under the sun. You think that you are are, are just discovering this stuff now? No, are you up
0: ground-shaking paradigm? A, basically uh, um, anything you come up with will be a variation on stuff that other people have already thought about, written about, postulated about. Well, that's like, uh,
1: uh, I heard uh, one time that, uh, you know, when it come to uh, the the inventions and patents of Nikola Tesla, that I guess even today, uh, people will come up with an idea and try to get a patent only to find that uh, Tesla had the idea patented, you know, back in the early uh, turn of the century. Yep. Of course, those patents have expired by now, you know, (laughs) but still, yeah, it's just like, you know, there's, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Yep, exactly. Or the moon. (laughs) Or the moon. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, you know, we, uh, uh, we have a really interesting guest tonight, uh, Mike. Uh, Our guest is uh, uh, Mary A. Joyce and uh she's a writer and, and a researcher she has a, a website uh, called the uh um i'm um, just uh, going to slip my mind, uh, the the skyships skyships over cashiers sky ships over cashiers and then she has a uh a book that you know i mean i find this subject really really interesting I always have it's called the Cherokee little People were real and uh, she talks about um especially the uh, uh, cherokees and their um can't really call them mythologies i mean that's that's you know you use the term mythology and people just automatically think of fairy tales or things like right, that right right uh, well you, you know, know it, it, it,
0: it, they are legends and folklore but they're supposedly also based in reality right you know, and, uh, you know it's it's like the, the, the native americans here in this area had belief in the same sort of little people, but they just had a different name for them. So, right. You know. right.
1: Well, and that's something um, that uh, that I also uh, wrote about in uh, in our brand-new book, America's Strange and Supernatural History, published yes. by Interlight Global Communications. You can find it on Amazon.com and other places that sell your favorite the books. Third. Reputable booksellers. That's that's
0: right. You know, Which know feature- to be online, online these days anymore, right? Yeah, right. I'm just you wondering know. how much longer these these uh, regular, you know, actual physical stores can stay open because, I mean, they've they've just it's got to be tough, you know.
1: And uh, oh, I hate that. I hate that. I mean, you me know, too, the, town, me the the town that I live in has absolutely. Uh I mean there's no bookstores, uh no no used bookstores, no you know like uh, yeah, uh news yeah. bookstores or or anything like that. And you know and I hate to sound like you know the, you know like you know the that that you know that guy who was like you know well back in my day, you know we had every
0: corner had a bookstore,
3: and, you know they were blah, blah, blah. but you know but they I mean? do.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> any, any town, even small towns, you could go there were places that would like like uh, buy, sell, and trade, use paperbacks. Oh, and my gosh. go in these places and, and, and just spend, seriously, two or three hours in there looking around and, mm-hmm. and picking up tons of cool books for very little money. And you take yours in if you wanted to and trade them or whatever. And, uh, you know, today it's just like a obsolete technology to some people. It really is. Well, you know, when I when I was a kid, practically
1: all of my uh, books, you know, 40 in books, you know, UFO books, ghost, you know, things like that, I got at used bookstores. And it's like you said, you could go in and you know maybe uh, bring a handful of your own to trade, and yep. uh, uh, you know you could come you could come out with a couple of sackfuls of paperback books, you know, that, that cost almost nothing, and uh, you know I know over. um over the Christmas holiday here, or actually it was just before the Christmas holiday, uh, uh, kids in my in my daughter's grade, uh, you were supposed to buy a, um, a book for another kid in your class. You know that was part of their uh, you know like Secret Santa uh, yeah uh, type type of gifting. You know it needed to be uh, a, a book for that grade level and um, fortunately um, we knew about this ahead of time so you know uh, uh we went and 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 got the book that uh, my daughter was supposed to get through amazon because you could not find a decent book that fit that category around here i mean you know walmart's their their children's books were either for like little tiny kids or, you know, like young adults. There's yeah. not that, there wasn't that much decent in between.
0: Well, look, I mean, you used to be able to go to stores, and even small towns, that had tons and tons of really good magazines. Magazines oh, yeah. suck now. They suck. Let's face it. <laughs> right? uh, you know, and, but even, even then, there were so many more to choose from on so many more topics. And mm-hmm. you know, we talked about this with Tim Beckley before. It, yeah. The whole industry has totally changed. But I have to think it's kind of like I look at the way – I, I believe, you know, that texting, texting specifically, has dumbed down uh, the literacy of just about everybody. Okay, mm-hmm. and you take that and extrapolate that out, and everything's instant. Everything's digital. You know, every, everything's on demand. Who wants to read a book? Who wants to sit down and and really expand their mind and and use their literacy and develop it? You know, I give you a perfect example. It's not exactly. The same thing, but it's something that I found about. To, I found out about today. It's not the same thing exactly, but it's related. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you the example. Apparently, and see, I'm not. I don't keep up with Kanye West because I think he's mediocre hack of whatever it is that he does, whatever that spewing of jibber jabber it is that he does. But anyway, this guy apparently made a single, cut a single with Paul McCartney. Oh, I know where you're going with this. Yes, yeah. And the Kanye West fans tweeted a bunch of stuff like, who is this Paul McCartney guy? He's going to get famous now. Kanye's discovered new talent and all this kind of... Okay, look. That's not just ignorant. That's stupid. I know. Seriously. (laughs) Your level of intelligence... Not just ignorance, your level of intelligence. If you don't know who Paul McCartney is, and you're not even vaguely familiar that he is somebody important in music history during, over the last 60 years, 50 years, you're retarded. <laughs> and I don't, and by retarded, don't, don't send me hate mail about using that word, because retarded means that your development is stunted. Okay? Yep. If if you don't know who Paul McCartney is, your mental and uh, knowledge based development both are severely stunted. And if you think Kanye West is any kind of paragon of musical quality or uh, creativity or genius, then you're you've got a problem, seriously. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, uh, you know, think about it. Once again, you know, you're talking about a situation where um uh, uh a lot of kids, they, you know, they get their music, you know, from iTunes and and you know, places like that, and I mean, they they really get to narrowcast um yeah, yeah. you know, the music that they listen to and and face it, you know, a majority of people rarely go outside of their musical taste. And rather you say,
0: than it's like you said, yeah, digital, but mm-hmm. yeah. on demand, instantaneous, non-thinking, kind of like rap. Um, you know, uh, yeah. Go ahead, and send the hate mail on that one. That's fine. Um, <laughs> it, you know, look. When I was four years old and five years old, we had what were called nursery rhymes,
2: <laughs>
0: and they had a certain cadence and a certain rhythm to them. Now, you take those nursery rhymes and you throw in some profanity and some sexual references and some violence, and you've got rap. That's the level of development that rap reaches in terms of music. So, you know, that somebody would compare Kanye West to Paul McCartney. And I'm not a super huge Paul McCartney fan, but I know <laughs> who the hell he is, and I'm really familiar with his material. And he is a genius, okay, a musical genius. To compare these two guys is just Absurd, and for these people to be so, just absolutely, what's the word here? Intellectually, culturally deprived to not know what's going on here—it's just unbelievable to me. I, I yeah. can't even believe that there are that many really stupid, idiotic people, but apparently there are. So there you go. <laughs> That's right. Go, y'all go As- ahead and send the hate mail. I'm mm-hmm. ready for it. Go ahead. And you've been listening to our rant of the day on the
1: Outer Edge Radio. That's right. This ties ties in
0: directly with what we're talking about with books, because it's it's the stupefaction of the West. You know, people believe all kinds of really dumb stuff about history now, and and culture, and you know, they they really have no idea. You know, and people like to try to revise and rewrite history, and. They get away with it a lot of times, so you know that's where we are. But listen, if anybody wants to call in tonight and, and bitch at me, <laughs> argue, spew, or even talk about the show, talk about what, what about our guest and, and talk to her, you can reach us at 786-245-8127. That's 786-245-8127, facebook.com/slash the outer edge radio. Go to psn-radio.com to chat live in our chat room during the show, but Tim and I probably won't be there. But you can go chat with whoever's there if you want to. Um But anyway, uh, 786-245-8127, and try to call in the last half of the show if you would so that we can at least talk to our guest f- for a while first. But uh, right. speaking of our guest, why don't you tell him one more time who our guest is tonight, Tim?
1: Well, our guest tonight is uh, Mary A. Joyce. She is the author of Cherokee Little People Were Real. So why don't we go to our break right now, and when we come back, uh, we will have uh, Mary Joyce on with us, and we will talk about uh, 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 the Cherokee Little People and UFOs over cashiers and who knows what else, because you're listening to The Outer Edge on PSN Radio, and we'll be right back. So stay tuned.
2: Be careful of what you say. Be careful in every way. Be careful of what you do. Big Brother is watching you. Be circumspect and discreet. Stay light on your mental feet. One slip and you know you're through. Big Brother is watching you, conform with all directives, remember obedience pays. and when you watch that TV screen, remember it works both ways, you'll disappear in a wink, unless you can double think. You'll vanish into the blue Big Brother is watching you Big Brother is watching you
1: Nine five four nine seven three 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 seven four. That's nine five four nine seven three thirty three seventy four. 973 3374 Or visit
3: KeyInformation.com Look
0: up in the
4: and more supermanhomepage.com imagine
2: no longer being tied down to your computer but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go talk stream live introduces our first ever iphone application the talk shows you follow now follow you
3: You're listening
4: to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael
3: Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Anymore, they say I'm crazy. Well, so are you, Shackle.
1: All right, welcome back to the Outer Edge. I'm Tim Schwartz, and you've just been listening to uh, who's this again? Demi Demaree. Demi Demaree.
0: Demi Demaree. Uh, yep.
1: Yeah, that, yeah. That song was called "In a Days. and I like that one. That, that one's really good. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, it really is. I mean, we just well, we get some we get some excellent
0: excellent music here on the. Yeah, yeah. Edge. we like to keep it keep it fresh. We like to have like fresh talent. People who are very talented on the edge of uh, what's going on, so that's, that's that's always a lot of fun.
1: That's right. Well, maybe you know, maybe sometime we can get some music from that that new guy. Uh, what's his name? Paul Paul M- M- McCarthy. M- oh uh, yeah, yeah, that that guy. Uh, he's in some group, uh, the Bagels. I think he was in something like that. Yeah. You know, the Bangles. The Bangles. That's what it was. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, now now that we've totally irritated, probably. <laughs> the majority of our listeners here let uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well you know uh, tonight we have with us uh Mary Joyce and she is the author of uh the book Cherokee little people were real Mary are you with us
5: I'm here I'm here good evening
1: good, evening. Well, good morning good. that's yes. true <laughs> yeah well yeah that's right even uh, it's well it's not morning yet for uh, for my kid it's still just no still i've got morning. about
0: 20 minutes so
1: yeah, but for for this, us poor souls uh, here on Eastern Standard Time, yeah, I mean we're already in the Monday. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, Mary, now uh, where uh, uh, where are you located?
5: Uh, the western part of North Carolina, where the mountains are.
1: Oh, oh, that's a beautiful part it's of the beautiful
5: country. Beautiful area. I'm uh, west of uh, Asheville and near the Cherokee Indian Reservation.
1: Ah, oh, that is nice. Uh, we used to, uh, when I was a kid, my parents uh, would take us there every once in a while on uh, a vacation in the summertime, and uh, I always, I always enjoyed that. But you know, of course, in the uh, like the early nineteen seventies, that that could be
5: quite a drive from uh,
1: Central Indiana.
5: <laughs> yes, I guess it could. Oh uh, but, yeah, yeah. But once you get in the mountains, it's pretty hard to go back to flatland.
1: <laughs> that's true that's true well now you're um you're not originally uh from there you moved there and where uh, when uh, i moved
5: i moved there in uh 98 or moved 98, here in 98. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh you know as far as the book goes i didn't know a thing about little people when i first came here and uh started to hear about it and i thought it was just uh you know um uh, old myth and uh found out there's some real tangible evidence and That's how the book
0: came to be. That's very interesting. So, did you first basically start hearing people people in the area talking about these legends, or did you see Uh, something?
5: Excuse me. It's real common uh, to hear the Cherokees talk about it. uh, But I really didn't pay much attention to it until uh, a man who is very uh, well known in this area uh, said, Yeah, they're real. And this man's, you know, World War II. Uh, war hero. He's written four books. He was a pastor for 42 years and very well respected. And he said, "Yes, uh, they really did exist." And uh, he had been involved as a young man um, with the construction at the university here, which is Western Carolina University. And when they were doing the early construction, they ran into these little tunnels. And hmm. uh, because he was such a, a well-respected man, I paid attention to him, and then he connected me to other old timers uh, who had been involved with construction at some level at the university and who had seen these and seen the little skeletons. And, wow! Uh, one guy okay. would lead me to another. You know, I would never have uh, made the connections without well, old timers I... connecting me.
0: Well, you you know, I'm going to have to get a copy of your book, right? Because my like book is about subjects yeah well my, my book is about subterranean uh, civilizations uh, creatures uh, people um, from myths legends folklore history uh, real- life accounts and uh, other types of topics that are related to that and what's so the
5: actual what's the actual title
0: caverns cauldrons and concealed creatures gotcha gotcha which but, I did put uh, on
5: our website when um, I knew I was going to be on the program. I, oh, okay, I did a blip great. on each one of you to let our uh, people know about it, too. Well,
0: that's great. I appreciate it. But, yeah, it, it's very interesting because it sounds like, you know, just more tangible evidence that these types of things exist. But, you know, they usually get covered up. So, first, of all, you have to say, well, what happened to the tunnels? What happened to the skeletons? You know, Is that a usually question? It co- yeah, sure. Go ahead, go ahead and run with that.
5: Well, what uh, one of the main buildings on campus, one of the oldest ones, is called the McKee Building, and it's always been an educational building. It was a grade school, it was a high school, it was an early college, and now it's part of the university. And when they first started to build that building, uh, they thought they were cutting into virgin land, and they found these two little tunnels headed to the uh, uh, east of the building. And this is a two-story building, and um uh, this was these were found back in the late 1940s then um, no that was in the late 1930s then about 10 years later they went and dug out a basement beneath these two floors and they found three tunnels going in the opposite direction and the tunnels always are uh cut through this real dense red damp clay and they're square cut except the top is arched and wow. Uh, you know, if you know anything about engineering, that makes the tunnel stronger. Right. And uh, typically the tunnels were 18 to uh, 24 inches in, um, in width and three and a half maxed out at four uh, feet tall. Uh, wow. Some of them were smaller. Uh, the ones that were bigger may have been Cherokee, but uh, most of them are quite small. And whenever they were doing construction on the campus they when they put in sewer lines, they would run into them when they would put in the um, concession stands at the football field, they ran into them um, it, it just became a network all over well, all over the campus
0: That's pretty amazing
1: well now were these uh, uh were these tunnels uh, lined in any way or were they just uh, 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 just cut completely out of the uh
5: it's, like I said, it, it's just the dense clay. And right. uh, this, is, this is not in the book. I've actually had people contact me since uh, the book came out, and it came out uh, in this past June. Right. And uh, one construction man uh, was building a place about five miles from the campus, and they found five of these little tunnels when they cut into the mountainside. And wow. he said the clay was just as fresh as could be. There were no cobwebs. Um, and he could even see tool marks on the side of the tunnels, uh, where you know where they'd use them to do, um, right, uh, smoothing out. I guess.
0: Well, a couple of things here. Uh, that type of clay, as long as you isolate it from a water source like a spring or a hole where rainwater can enter, it's it's actually very waterproof. I mean, water will flow through it, but it probably won't erode it. Right. Um, so that's a really good, um, uh, matrix, I guess you could say, to make a tunnel system in if it is really stabilized, like you were talking about with the arches and everything. But if, 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 so that in and of itself is, you know, very telling that it's probably artificial. The second thing is that you said you can see tool marks and everything. You know, when you're dealing with clay like that, those tool marks could be, a hundred years old, five hundred years old, or five days old. So, right. you know, if you just said, said they were, we said there were no cobwebs or anything, it makes you wonder if someone is still using those tunnels.
5: Uh, it does make you wonder. Uh, you can't rule out the possibility that uh, uh, there might still be little people in the area, in the more remote areas. But uh, right. the Cherokee swear that there are some. Um, we also have uh, Bigfoot sightings in this area, and if something as large as a Bigfoot can remain elusive, um, then why not little people? So right. uh, uh, they may very well still exist, but certainly not the way they once existed. Hmm. Well, now, what
1: uh, 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 what do the Cherokee uh, say about the little people? I mean, what, uh, well, what they are they... their what are their stories? What are their you know uh, legends?
5: Um. Well, they get into different kinds of things. Uh, usually, just, there's actually four descriptions of the little people in this area. Uh, one is that they're uh, maybe uh, two and a half, three feet maxed out at three, three and a half feet tall, and that they look like the Cherokees of today. That's hmm. one description. Um, a very old description, which comes from the old Cherokee legends, was when they first, when the Cherokee first arrived in the mountains. Um, They came from the uh, Great Lakes area. And when they came, they found these well-tended gardens, but they didn't see any people. And eventually they saw these little people come out at night to tend the gardens, and then they would take the food back into the tunnels, uh, supposedly to their underground town or city. And uh, they called them the moon people because they came out at night. And these were described quite differently. They said they they looked... uh, um, like they had blue skin and larger hmm. eyes and if they live underground the larger eyes would also make, make a whole lot of sense then there's a third description and uh, the third kind looks more like a leprechaun uh, they describe it right. with red whiskers uh, the pointed ears, the pointed nose and uh, one of the pictures I have in the book is of uh, a medallion um, very old that was washed out Um, during a major, major flood back in the 1940s. And this little boy, who was five years old at the time, he found this little medallion, and he called it his lead head because it was so heavy. And as an adult, he doesn't know, he hasn't been able to find out what kind of metal it's made out of. But it was deep, you know, down into the soil and had been washed out. And there's a leprechaun face on each side of it. It has also obviously been poured because there is a seam that goes around the uh, diameter of it. So that's a third kind. And the stories say that the Cherokees um, didn't—they didn't like the ones with the red whiskers, and they tried to get rid of them. And it may very well be true because at the top of a mountain here called Cullowhee um, uh, Mountain, which is south of Western Carolina University. Uh, the old moonshiners used to be there in the 30s and one group of uh, moonshiners had their their place way off from the from the wagon trail Mm -hmm. and uh, they came across this pile of little people bones well they just covered them up because they didn't want anybody knowing about where their spill was located Um, so there's a lot of really interesting stories around here we also have a um, a petroglyph, which is pretty good size. I, I, at this moment, don't remember the dimensions of it, but maybe it's like 10 feet by 8 feet. And it has um, symbols all over it that nobody has been able to decipher. Uh, the stone was there before the Cherokee arrived, so some people speculate the little people did it. Uh, nobody really knows. And getting into more of our mysteries in this area... Uh, the stone is called the Judicola Rock. That's the English word for the Judicola Giant, and I don't know how to say it in Cherokee. Right. Um, but it was a giant um, that was in this this area. Well, it's the same area Well, I where I've interviewed people who've seen Bigfoot. So maybe hmm. Judicola the Giant was Bigfoot. So we had Bigfoot and little people and um, just lots of interesting things. Hmm.
0: Wow. well, It was interesting because you were talking about the Mooney people, and, and there has been some speculation that they may have been related in some way to the Welsh uh, people who came over here with Prince Madoc, or Madoc, and they landed in Mobile Bay and then moved up through the Appalachian Mountains, and eventually they became the Mandan tribe that George Catlin or Caitlin uh, uh, met up with and, and, and chronicled. And since he spoke Welsh as his native tongue, as soon as he walked into the village... You know, he recognized their, their language, but um,
5: yeah, I, I heard, heard that the moon people weren't, weren't they normal sized?
0: Yeah, the, the, I heard though, that the moon people were normal sized, and that they were, the the little people were a whole different uh, variant, whole different type yeah. whatever,
5: of, of whatever whatever they were seeing here was small, and they came. They were all small. The, huh? They were coming out of the little tunnels. Right. And mm. um, when I um, I originally did some of these interviews back in 2000-2001, and I simply uh, kept the transcripts and put them in a booklet form and gave them to the museums in the area simply because I wanted the information preserved because nobody had done that. In fact, I wouldn't have written the book if somebody else had covered the topic, but uh, nobody had. And then this past uh, spring... Um, I decided to put it together like a real book, so I started to get the photographs and the maps. And uh, in the process of looking for all of this information and getting more interviews, um, I went looking for a picture of um, Ruth Beck, who was the only woman I I interviewed. And she was Cherokee. And until I came across her obituary, I didn't know that she was... uh, um, Excuse me. This time of day, I guess my voice doesn't work. Um, No, that's okay. (laughs) um, Let's see. She said that uh, they believed that the uh, little people were from outer space. Oh, really? Yeah. And her uh, great-great-grandfather was uh, Solly, who was the uh, hero of the Cherokee. Um, You're probably familiar with the Trail of Tears where the Cherokees were uh moved out to Oklahoma. Right. Uh, many of the Cherokees hid out in the mountains and didn't go out with. And so this man, this uh Solly, um worked a deal with the American government that the rest of the people that were still here in the mountains could stay here, but he had to give his life and also also the life of his sons.
3: Hmm.
5: Um so they were all killed so that his people could stay here except for his youngest son. And that was the great-great-grandfather's connection uh, with this woman. <clears throat> and uh, it wasn't until I found her, her obituary that I thought that her middle name was, uh, was uh, Youngbirds, uh, which is an Indian name, fact certainly.
3: <clears throat>
5: so you can, you can have ETs, you can have blue people, you can have uh, leprechauns. Uh, we, ha- we have a lot of intriguing things here.
1: Right. You know, that's, that's really interesting because, I mean, we, uh, uh, on on a, a previous show that we had, we talked to an author that uh, she wrote a book. I think it was called uh, Sky People. Was, uh, do you, you know who I'm talking about, uh, Mike? And, I think so. Uh, she, she talked to a lot of Native Americans, especially out uh, uh, in Is the... Is the uh, uh, uh,
5: Montana in... professor? Yes. 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 Okay, yeah. And she's she uh, found out about the uh, blue people. Uh, when she was doing research for that book,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I saw something though, where they where they have they think they've determined that the blue people's condition is due to inbreeding, um, where they're passing along a gene that basically restricts uh, blood flow to the surface of the skin and gives them that blue color.
5: Um, I've heard that when it comes to normal sized people, uh, yeah. but then you have to equate in, you know, somebody living underground and that right. begins impact right. some
0: of this. Sure, it well, that, that could also contribute to inbreeding. Mm, true.
5: True.
0: Yeah. So, you well, know,
5: well, I, so especially fight, with an fight. isolated,
1: you know, isolated, isolated societies, yeah. Yeah. And
0: you'll find that all over the world with these legends of uh, subterranean civilizations and and cultures and societies that they are very interested themselves in obtaining new genetic material, they'll come to people, you know, whether it's Ireland, Scandinavia, uh, Japan, China, they'll come out and, you know, they, they're known to be supposedly from the underworld or whatever, but they'll come and say, we need fresh blood, you know, we, not, yeah, not right. we need fresh genetics. So they'll, have, they'll want to marry somebody, abduct somebody, that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, genetic concerns definitely would, for, for those types of cultures, genetic concerns might be a very big, you know, keeping the, the the diversity there would be a, a major concern. You would think.
5: Mm-hmm. And that's what we hear about the Greys too.
1: Yeah, mm. that's true. Oh yeah, right, right. Well, you know, I yeah, it's I don't think that it's a coincidence that you know you 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 keep hearing the same stories right year after year, century after century. You know, there's just uh uh uh, uh, uh the. It remains the same, the The faces just appear to be different. Yep. You know? The masks change. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's yeah. right. That's right. Well, you know, uh, one of the things that I find that very interesting is that, you know, like here in the United States, um, you'll find the same kinds of stories about uh, uh, subterranean races of little people um, all over the place. Now, see, uh, I grew up in central Indiana. And uh, there, the uh, 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 the Native Americans spoke of the Pukují, and uh, that was that was their name for uh, the little people. And it was the same same kind of situation. I mean, allegedly that they lived in uh, you know underground. Yep. They built tunnels. Uh, especially uh, they especially liked to live along uh, riverbanks. Uh, where I guess it was easier for them to, uh, to 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 tunnel into you know into the ground, but I mean the the, the stories of the Pukwuji in Central Indiana, uh, I mean you know we we still get reports about people seeing you know like little people in uh, areas like uh, Anderson Indiana, Mud City Indiana, uh, especially like along the uh, the, the White River. So I mean you know I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's any coincidence that you know you're seeing the same kinds of stories from uh uh locations that you wouldn't
5: think um, well you know the mayans had uh little people I do not know how to pronounce this but it's written out p u apostrophe u s and they were a race of little people that did uh work with metals and I don't know if that beginning of, of the word that you're giving me is similar or not. Does it start with a P U? Uh,
1: the Pukuji? Yes. Yes, uh-huh. it does. Yeah, maybe, yes, maybe, it there's does a, yeah.
5: maybe there's a connection there. But they're I also,
0: guess. the, the, the Pukuji or Pukuji are also, um, considered really malevolent in terms of their attitude toward, uh, you know, human beings. They, they, uh, are not nice characters. They're, I guess they're reclusive, but, you know, I think they're even they're they're much more uh, seen as evil than a lot of other little people are by Native Americans. Oh, the the Miami tribe, you know, here in uh, Indiana. I mean,
1: yeah, they they tried to steer clear. of right. the, uh, the The Pukuji. Well, yeah. even even other
0: people have claimed to have had actual encounters with them, and and they were apparently pretty nasty characters. So, mm-hmm. did, Mary, did you ever uh, pick up on any sort of uh superstitious beliefs or or fearful beliefs or anything like that about these these characters were the
5: what I hear you know, is uh, I the worst I ever hear is that they're they can be mischief makers. Uh, right. you know, um, uh to this day there are still uh Indians who will put out food for the little people at night and right. they claim that if they don't put it out there they will throw stones on the roof. Yeah. I mean throw stones. Like, it's not like um you know, uh, scaring people to death, and the well, only thing the only thing you ever hear is they they give warnings about um, the children not wandering off too far because they might be taken by the little people. Right. Um, this and that's your could, gen, that's
0: your genetic angle.
5: Well, this could also simply that, but they're little kids, but still, yeah, um, yeah. that could also be um, a, a parental crutch um, <laughs> to keep the kids from not going too far.
0: Well, I'll tell you something. And and
5: there's also stories that if people, um, you know, talk about the little people that they will die. Um, I don't find any credibility to that because one of the men that I interviewed, uh, he first uh, came across the little tunnels when he was like six or seven. His dad had a mining operation. And he has talked about little people all of his life, and he lived to be 86. Well, that's the hole in the idea that you're going to die if you talk about it.
0: Right. Well, a couple of things that you that you brought to mind here. First thing is that um, back in 1985, I was going to to move to California, and a so-called psychic person who was a self-described psychic informed me that if I went to California, that I would be doomed, that I would die, that I would never leave California. Well, that was 1985. Five, you're so, still, right? And you're still here. Yeah. So, with uh, the way I look, I just, I just looked at this person and said, "Everybody dies." So, yeah, I'm going to die. You're going to yeah. die. You know, so it, it, that kind of thing. But it, anyway, to get back to the, the, the stone throwing uh, down here in Mississippi, the Choctaw Indians believe in, in several supernatural humanoids and and those types of uh, spirits and all kinds of monsters and, but they don't talk about it. So most of the, 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 the other people who live here don't even know what their what the Choctaw beliefs are because the Choctaw. Well, what I we find here is
5: a lot of the um, Cherokee were hesitant to talk about it because they've yeah. been laughed at so much by white yep. people. Yep. But yep. that's becoming but, less of a problem, and once they they realize that you're not going to make fun of them, uh, they're really pretty pretty open about it.
0: Well, well, down here they have a belief in in the Choctaw believe in, in little people who live in the woods. And underground. And actually they live underground in the woods. But they're called Bopoli. And what that means is little rock thrower. Hmm. And they throw rocks. So
5: fits right, that fits right in yep. with what we know. Yeah, they, they
0: throw rocks at you. They're mischievous. But they're also uh, super wise in terms of herbs and, and medicine and nature and that kind of stuff. But they were known to kidnap children. Um, that type of thing. So...
5: Well, I even hear stories about uh, uh, the Cherokee talking about uh, adopting uh, these little people, taking them, you know, part of their family, really. And uh, when the little people disappeared, um, the Cherokee were very sad, and they also gave the little people credit for teaching them how to live in the mountains. Because, again, they came here from the Great Lakes, and it certainly would be a different environment.
0: Well, the the Choctaw also believe here that, or or did, that there were certain select people in in the tribe who, when they were young, a child or um, a teenager, adolescent or child, either one, that they could be lured away, kidnapped by these these, uh, diminutives, I guess you could say, and they would be taken away to where they lived underground, and they would be trained to be medicine men or shaman. Right. Okay. And then they would be brought back or released, and
5: I've heard i heard that here also from the Cherokee. Yeah. So the very the interesting there and here seem to mesh.
0: Yes, they did. Well, the Choctaw and Cherokee were often often enemies, but they were also often friends. You know, it was just like any other two groups, diverse groups, um, and they they were both uh, parts of what were called or members of what were called the Five Civilized Tribes. Uh, in other words, they were the ones that were really really betrayed
2: <laughs>
0: yeah they, they really got shafted, so you know they, they they tried to play by all the rules and and fit into society and then andrew Andrew Jackson pretty much um really really um did some terrible things to them but uh um their beliefs are very similar, and so you have to wonder it's like anything else we you know we talk about where there's smoke, there's gotta be some fire somewhere. Right. With these topics.
5: Right. And one of the other things that uh, the uh, men told me about was that they, you know, found some small skeletons. And um, for a number of years, one of the science professors had a, a small skull on his desk. And he just simply said it was a, a child's skull from the, there were two Indian mounds on the campus at one time. And he said it was just, you know, a child skull. Well, one day, a high school English teacher. Um, picked it up and looked at it and said, this isn't a child's skull. It has its wisdom teeth. And, of course, huh. you know, to be 18, 19, 20 years old, to have its, you know your wisdom teeth. So right. that was uh, an, another thing that was out there for everyone to see for many, many years. Um, I'm sure you'll appreciate the irony of this. I've, I mentioned before about the McKee building and <clears throat> the, the, the tunnels that went out in two directions from that building. Um the uh, back in two thousand, about the time I was starting to do some of this uh, interviewing uh they decided to put in a supporting wall in the basement, which makes a lot of sense because the basement was put in after the first two floors were done and uh, um, so they put in this real thick wall that was about eighteen inches in uh, width or or you know thickness and the head of the facilities and construction and all that at the university said that he and the other people in his department had seen the tunnels and that two of them are still there, but they're now behind this uh, big supporting wall, and it's waterproofed and nobody can get back there. Ha. Huh. Here's the irony of it. Um, the uh, the archaeology department is up against that wall. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, that's irony.
5: Yeah, It's just amazing to me. And, you know, Uh, the university, I think, has always been, uh, at least in the past, um, primarily concerned with building new buildings, and they didn't want anything to slow down what they wanted to do. Progress. They they had been very um, hush-hush, secretive, uh, simply because, you know, they wanted to do what they wanted to do. And it's regrettable that they didn't save at least some of it. It could have become the basis for a good archaeology department, uh, even if they had just saved those two tunnels with a window in front of it. Um, mm-hmm. but um, there wasn't the balanced approach um, it's It's too bad and they you know I, I got uh, um, contacted by one of the people who went to school there um, back around the same time around 2000 and he said that he and some of his buddies were down by the river and probably just horsing around, who knows. But the head of security came by where they were, and he actually, um, in my opinion, was foolish to tell them that what he had in the box was, uh, that he had with him were the bones of these little people, and they were, he was taking them to rebury them someplace else. So uh, and that was being done on the QT. So um it's um uh, it's just like with hospitals you expect them to have the best food and they don't. You expect <laughs> right. universities to be on top of stuff like this and they not, they aren't always on top of it and it's right. uh, I think we lose a lot of good stuff this way. And seriously, no, you the, know I, I didn't intend to write this book, but if if I hadn't recorded this, nobody would have it.
0: Well, I'm glad you did. And hey Mary, oh, there, yeah. there are a lot of cover-ups of this type of stuff. You know that.
5: Yes, yes, and yeah. um, I've I've talked to um, uh, some of the people who have graduated from the anthropology department, and they they claim that in the forensic vault they still have some of this stuff, and that uh, there's also at least two uh, giant skeletons there that have six toes.
0: I believe that, that too. Oh in yeah. In fact, that we we that's a yeah. I mean, these, these these anomalous skeletons have been found all over the United States, North America, oh, yeah. but they do disappear. They have a tendency to get locked away because they don't. They, they're presumptuous. They don't conform to uh, the current theories good. of the day. Right. And, and we did thinking.
5: do an article on the website that that I that I edit. It's it's dot uh, com. Right. And. Uh, uh, we reviewed a book when it first came out about how the uh, Smithsonian, you know, has been just hiding these away right. not acknowledging and, them.
0: Absolutely, they have. And we've talked about that for a long time, Tim and I. Um, and there's definitely been a big cover-up going on. But the thing is, when you start talking about six fingers and six toes and giants, you're talking about something that's worldwide, uh, something that's very ancient, you know. And uh, um, some people call them Nephilim or Nephilim, and uh, some people call them by other names, but uh, that is one of their known genetic characteristics, you know, six fingers, six toes, double rows of teeth, uh, vestigial horns. Um, So, yeah, this is all interesting stuff.
5: Hmm. Another thing that's interesting is that the college has, uh, you know, talked about the two Indian mounds on the campus, and there was a big one and a small one and both of them were uh, fairly close to this McKee building that I've mentioned several times. And uh, when I talked to the old-timers who had actually gone to school there when they were young, they said that that Indian mound had a vertical hole going right down through the middle of it, and that the at that time it was being farmed, and it was a dairy farm, and the farmer put big logs down into this hole so the cattle wouldn't fall into it. Well, then years wow. later, when they start putting in sewage lines and building new buildings, they discover these little tunnels, and they go right back to this Indian mound. So the old-timer said that wasn't an Indian mound. It was a pile of dirt from digging out these tunnels. And they might, hmm. be, they might very well be right.
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: So now, uh, has has anybody within, in the scientific community that you know of ever... Uh, <laughs> Ever attempted to investigate or, or, or talked about these tunnels or, 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 or anything like that?
5: Well, what I've done in this book, I've got uh, lots of photos and I have uh, detailed maps. And it's my hope that uh, uh, some real serious archaeologists uh, with the wherewithal could use these as a starting point. Uh, and maybe find some more things. And that's not outrageous because I, I mentioned that the uh, man who was in construction since the book came out in June, um, you know, came, told me about five more little tunnels that were found about five miles from the campus. So this whole area uh, obviously was uh, well developed.
1: Huh? So, so no, so nobody at all on, you know, like you know, in, in academia has even addressed the subject that you know that that you know the the area is crisscrossed with these tunnels.
5: Well, some of the old timers told me that when they knocked down the Indian mounds, that there were people from uh, uh, other universities that came in and got some of the stuff. Uh, whether it was little people um, relics, or I have no idea. But they mentioned that they they felt like some um, one university was from Virginia, and then they mentioned the University of Tennessee. Well, the University huh. of Tennessee is fairly close to me, and and uh, you know we did make a trip over there and tried to find out something, but got nowhere. But uh, uh, so it's going to take some people with some inside uh, connections to uh, probably discover some of this, right? Or get it released. I did do a letter to the. Uh, uh, and hand-delivered it to the chancellor of the university um, uh, because he's fairly new to the university. And I said, you know, most of this has been done before you got here, and it would be really nice, I can't remember what I said, but the essence of it would be, would it would be wonderful if he could come clean with what's been happening in the past, uh, acknowledge it, and express regrets, but at least acknowledge it. Um, I've gotten absolutely no acknowledgement from him at all. Right, that. right. But
0: that's um, that's to be expected. Yeah,
5: so He's kind of
0: not that. gonna do anything to jeopardize his uh um his reputation with with the university and, and within the university system.
5: Right. Unless um,
0: yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah, but I mean you would you you would you would think that they would at least um be interested in in studying the tunnels, without acknowledging well, that. That, that. May,
5: that may, you know, sometimes change is slow, <clears throat> maybe just because of this book, because it's gotten a lot of local publicity here. Um, right. And uh, I was at Dunkin' Donuts and found out from one of the gals who works behind the counter that, uh, you know, kids at the uh, uh, university were getting the book because they found it very interesting. So who knows? Maybe something will trigger something, and... Um, you know, they'll have to come complain.
1: Right. That's got to be that's got to be pretty gratifying for you, though, knowing that uh, you know you have this this, this audience who is who's interested in your books and are you know buying it.
5: Right.
1: And and, and if
5: anybody is interested in it, uh, it's available through Amazon. And again, the title is Cherokee Little People Were Real. Uh, some people like to support small stores rather than. Uh, Amazon and our local bookstore can ship it out to people and the bookstore is uh, CityLightsNC.com. nc dot com stands for North Carolina. Right and so the book is available both ways.
0: Yeah, we've got it linked up on the uh, on the web pi- on the webpage description. so um, hopefully people will pick one up. And and if you, and if
1: you, and if you were listening, uh, uh, to our uh, diatribe earlier in the show, I mean, you know, we're big supporters
0: of uh, local bookstores.
1: Right, and (laughs) and I I was,
5: I was listening to you and that was one of the reasons I mentioned it.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely people need to, to uh, check that out. So again, look on the page if you guys are interested in the book and, uh, there's a link there to the city bookstore. Uh, City Lights, right?
5: Uh, CityLightsNC.com.
0: Okay, cool. Well, you know, this is this is all fascinating stuff for us, and we we really want to thank Mark Eddy, uh, by the way, who sends us a lot of really excellent guests, and now he has sent us another excellent guest, and we appreciate it very much. Um, yeah, very very much. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> yeah. So, um, have you ever had any any type of experience yourself with these types of uh, subjects in terms of? An encounter or a, a suspicion of anything or something inexplicable that ties in with this?
5: Uh, the closest I've gotten is the people who have seen the tunnels themselves. The closest I've gotten is people who've seen the little skull itself. And then I've talked to uh, many, many of the Cherokee who, um, you know, have stories that they still exist. Uh, right. There had been books written about. Um, those kind of things, you know, the uh, Cherokees um, and seeing them now. So I did not choose to go in that direction with the book. Um, my purpose was to save what hadn't been done at all. Right. Well, I
1: see that uh, you actually uh, recently um, added, uh, updated your book and added uh, new material to it. Uh, what, uh, uh, what, uh, what was the updated, updated information about?
5: Uh, no, um, what I've gotten is since the book came out, people have contacted me with additional information. I have not done anything with it. Um, it may end up on our website. Um, oh, okay. so for right. cashers. Um, at this point, I'm kind of collecting it and pondering what I should or shouldn't do with it. so uh, right. It, oh you, sounds, yeah,
1: you you should you should come out with an updated uh, yes. uh, uh, edition because you know, like you said, I mean, you 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 know, once you put a book out, then you get uh, uh, you know people who read it and say, hey, you know, I I've got something to say. Yep,
0: exactly, and, uh,
1: boy, that, I mean, it's always great. Exactly.
0: You know? Well, that's what that's why *Caverns, Conscious and Concealed Creatures* is now in a third edition.
1: <laughs> Very good.
0: Because Very good. yeah, but but here's here's the thing about it. You know, if you would take the material you have and then you um, collect material from the other tribes in the southeast, I think you will find that you may have a much larger book on your hands. But it, it, a book worthy of another, of another title. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Because it sounds like these beliefs are very, very similar, and that all these. No, I'm not smart enough to remember
5: the title of the book, but there is an author in Georgia. Who um, has all these academic credentials, and she's done a book that's probably an inch and a half thick, where she has um, um, gone into all these stories about little people around the world. So somebody has, at least to some extent, done that.
0: Right. Well, I'm thinking more. I'm I'm always I'm
5: always trying to do something that hasn't been done before. Uh, I used to be uh, in the newspaper business, and it's like you want to get the fresh stories. It's not right. Really, you know, I have no desire just to write a book to write a book. And I mm-hmm. have no desire to rehash what other people have done. Um, now, there's another book, understood. very
0: interesting, a book that, that I actually recommend. Even though each section is sort of like a synopsis, there's a book by a guy named John Roth, John E. Roth. And it's called American Elves, an encyclopedia of little people from the lore of 380 ethnic groups of the Western Hemisphere. Hard to find, but you can find it used. I was lucky enough to get a copy new way back when, but, uh, yeah, it's called American Elves, and, uh, it's, typali- it's the kind of thing like you're talking about it, from a very academic point of view, but I'm thinking more along the lines of of, of something that examines this in the way that you've already done, but like, you know, c- uh, coordinate this or, or compare and contrast it with like the Choctaw, the Seminole, the Alabama, the creek, because I guarantee you, they all have very similar legends about these mm-hmm. these types of little people.
5: You're right. Lots of things what? could be done, right? I don't know if we can all write as I don't know if we can all write as many books as Tim has done. No. I saw I saw his uh, uh, Amazon page, and he's got a whole slew of them, which he's either written or uh, co-authored with people, and uh, right. obviously he spends a lot of time at the computer.
1: <laughs> oh well I do uh I do a lot of uh uh, uh, uh footwork as as well. I mean I'm a big uh, believer Mary and uh, you know I mean the internet is a great thing but um it's it is it's it's nothing compared to actually going out and talking to people face to face which is you know one of right. the reasons that you know uh, you know I, I your book is is just so fascinating because you actually took the time to to go out and, and interview these people rather than just you know, uh, uh, you know going to the internet and you know and, right. and, and, find, and, and finding material that other people right you know, have see, ar- that's have an, already that's that's an
5: advantage about. I have here whereas um, if I started to take on things in other states I wouldn't have the um, uh, personal connections that I had here that made it happen right. Uh, right. You can't go cold. It's not, I could not have come here cold and made the connections to this book.
0: Yeah, we're going to have to find you know, a wealthy patron.
5: Oh, that would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah of, it would, wouldn't it?
5: <laughs> and a lot of the writing that I do is uh, done for the website, uh, Skyships Over Cashers. Um, yeah. we uh, excellent a lot website, of, by the way. Thank you. We do a lot of cutting edge topics, uh, obviously, UFOs. Um, but also uh, underground facilities because there's some there's quite a bit of that in this area also um, uh, cosmic miracles um, you know we've got about uh, 10 11 different categories uh, one category is bigfoot and ETs um, another one is we do the photos uh, we do all you know all sorts of different kinds of things and uh, I would encourage people to check it out because uh,
0: um it's not it's not your ordinary uh, website well it's very cool it's very very eclectic um,
1: well and and so. I want I I want to get more uh into uh that website uh after uh, after we come back from our break which uh you know we'll uh, we'll take our break in about oh I don't know about about 8 minutes from now but uh but after that I want to I want to get into a little bit more detail you know uh, about that, but uh, Mary, I want to uh, say uh, I I see that um, that you that you worked uh, um, um, at uh, the creative teams at uh, Marvel and uh, and Golden Books.
5: Um, at what time? I worked for Texas Instruments um, a bunch of years ago, and I was involved with doing talking children's books, and so I co- I coordinated the uh, art and the writing and the printing for um different books and i worked with the creative uh, teams at marvel comics at uh, golden books at steven uh, spielberg's um book staff um uh, mr rogers um you know just uh, people that are big in the kids book and i did a lot of traveling and met some very very interesting people that way it was a fun job actually
1: Yep, well, sounds... uh, uh, I started to say, Mike, Mike is a uh, uh, a graphic artist of uh, of, of some renown. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, for a while,
5: yeah. I did um, uh, uh, graphic arts in a number of different ways. Uh, probably the one that people might know I'm listening to the radio would be uh, uh, the Orlando Sentinel. Back in the days before the Internet took away all the news, Yes, the the newspapers used to be big and thick and packed with stuff. uh, Well, well, you know what I noticed also
0: was that uh, uh, what you were talking about a few minutes ago with Tim about uh, interviewing people in person. You know, I interview people by email uh, way back when, and by I have people sending me written uh, letters and things like that. But in addition to that, when I first wrote what became *Cabbage Cultures and Concealed Creatures*, I have a library of several thousand books okay Going on and some of these books go back you know they're 100, 100 150 years old so you know this b- before the internet ever existed i was studying and writing about these topics and making notes and and reading and thinking about it before i ever put anything down and since the internet everybody's a writer
5: Right. <laughs> they go. Yeah. They go because yeah. I can find my own stuff being picked up and and used by other websites. Yes, and, and you will. And you has, will find somebody that Somebody has to lot. do the original work. Somebody has to. Yes. and yes. Uh, Again, this goes back to being in newspapers. I I still do. I prefer to do it the old-fashioned way. I like to go out with the old tape recorder and the camera, and uh, come back and transcribe it and then whittle it down to, you know, condense it so people can read it. And, uh, yes. I, I, and, you I know, prefer
0: it, to do that. it's also good. I know that, uh, like, like throughout uh, my nonfiction books, I will acknowledge the people who have come before, the people who've done research and written, um, whether, you know, it's John Keel or somebody else, whoever it is, I'll, you know, I'll give them their props. Yeah. And, you know, you really don't see that a lot anymore.
5: Um, now, you know, now every... I've done that a lot in the other in another book I did just almost a, a little over a year ago, uh, called "Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind for Us to Find," and right. it's a it's a condensed. I mean, it's really easy to read. has lots of I call it an adult picture book, uh, and the information is condensed uh, so that busy people can take the time to read it. And right. but there's always people who want to learn more, so anytime. I've written something. I always have the uh, original source so people can go and and dig deep if they want to. Um, But the way the world is today, it needs to be condensed, easy to read, eye-catching, or people aren't going to read it.
0: Right. Short attention span.
5: Yes, yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yes.
1: Well, and that's 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 very frustrating uh, too. If especially if you have uh, quite a bit of information that that really needs needs to get out there, and I mean you just you you know you can't do that on You're a dead website dead. or a blog or or anything like that. You know, it it needs to be properly done in a book. But as all of us well know, I mean you know this. It, it seems like more and more. That uh, people just start reading books like they used to,
5: right? So we we spoon feed them. <laughs> that's yeah. a good
1: way to put it. I like that. Yeah, uh, you're yep. absolutely right. You know? <laughs>
0: yeah, instant gratification is definitely what it's all about now. That's for sure. Mm-hmm.
5: And well, you, I mean, if you can hook their interest with a little bit, then they might decide they want to take a couple more spoonfuls, and that's why you always give them leads to find something else. Right. Yeah. So in that tangible evidence of Jesus, I did that throughout that little book.
0: That's good. That's good.
5: Well, you know, so the, what, it all
0: ties together. It all does. So, uh,
1: Well, what uh, what prompted you to, uh, uh, to write that book, The Tangible Evidence of Jesus?
5: Um, well, that was kind of strange, actually. Um, I was uh, awakened in the middle of the night and was directed, um, I know this sounds crazy, but I was directed by Jesus and he said, uh, I want this book written, he, and he wanted the truth to come out on some stuff that, you know, just wasn't out there. And he wanted it, um, he was real specific. He wanted it condensed and very visual and um, so that the busy people might actually take time to read it. And right. he, the, the daunting part of it was he wanted it done in a month's time. Um, and I, I, I finished it exactly a, a month to the day that I got the directions I couldn't have done it if I hadn't already done an awful lot of reading. And I didn't do the reading to write a book. I did the reading because I was curious. Um, Right. And then the newspaper experience kicked in because you learn how to write under deadline and you learn Mm -hmm. how to condense things. And uh, that's how the book came to be.
0: Very interesting. So did you self-publish or did you have a publisher for it? Uh,
5: There was... Uh, I self-published for the simple reason um, that I know how the publication business works. Um, right. The publishers no longer go out and really uh, get your book out there unless you're you know, well-known nationally. Right, uh, that's true. You have to go out and do your own footwork. So if you're going to go out and do your own footwork, you might as well uh, get more than um, uh, at the max. They give you, what, 10% when you go through a normal publisher. Yeah. yeah, if
1: that. <laughs> yeah, and, you'd be lucky you get that. Yeah.
5: Right. And so I mean, I just think that's crazy. And uh, it wasn't just for monetary reasons when uh, I'd done enough writing that I wanted to be in control of what I was doing.
0: And I think that's the way a lot of us are now. That, and did did you and get your book?
5: Trend that's just the trend now. It used to be yeah. only the people who couldn't write went that direction. <laughs> now it yeah. it's it's done a flip and people who well, are you know, very I'm, 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 Go ahead. No, I was just going to say very confident people who are good writers are going this way now for a lot of very valid reasons. Uh, well,
0: I'll, I'll tell you some of, the, some of those reasons. It, the first reason is that there used to be a long time ago, well, to some people now, it might seem like a long time ago but to us. <laughs> those of us talking here, it really wasn't that long ago. But there were many, many, many fairly sizable publishing companies.
5: That's correct.
0: And eventually they all became gobbled up by each other, and then those conglomerations became gobbled up by corporations, and you end up with a big, one big, or just a few big corporations containing all types of uh, intellectual property. That's
3: correct. And
0: they have an agenda, Mm -hmm. they have a very distinct policy within their company at any given time as to what they are interested in. In, what, what voices they want to be heard, right. um, what tone they want to set, all that kind of thing. And I had this actual experience, too, where I had written, uh, this was back in the late 80s, I had written a novel, and I sent it off to a major New York publisher. And I was getting all kinds of letters. This is great. We love this. Um, we're going to definitely be wanting this, but we want you to finish that sequel that you're working on. But we, we were very interested, blah, blah, blah. Quick, 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 send us the sequel. Well, I sent it to them. So this went on for 18 months. And they were calling me on telephone, talking to me. You know, one day, uh, right around Christmas time, I walked out. And the mailman had left me a package. And it was my manuscripts, no letter, no no thanks, nothing. Okay. Um, at the time, I was friends with the guy. Who was editing anthologies for this company? Uh, he's deceased now, but I talked to him and he said, "He said, you know, he said what they what they what they did was he he said what they do is they'll this is back in the late '80s. He said they will string they will they will find several new authors that they're interested in, and they will string those new authors along because they can get say ten new authors for the price of one big author." And they'll string you along until they find out, until the bidding is over, say for the Stephen King novel or whoever it is that's big at the time. And if they can score that novel or those novels, all you people who've been strung along, tough. They'll send your stuff back to you. That's the way they used to do people. They used to do us that way. They used to treat us that way. And so that happened to me. And so when that happened, I said, okay, fine. I got him back. I said, I'll just find another publisher. And it took a while. And, you know, I went through a couple of different routes. It didn't work out well. Um, they actually came out um, electronically, one of the earliest electronic versions ever made back in the early 90s uh, with a company that was doing PDFs. And I quickly saw that that was not real secure, so I put an end to that. But now, you know, I, f- I found a small publisher for all my books. And one, one of them, of course, is, is – uh, uh, global communications, which is who Tim works with. But my other b- books, which are larger, the novels, the nonfiction stuff, it's all with, uh, this, with grave distractions publications. And the thing I like about, about them is, is they respect the writer. They respect what you have to say. They want you to be able to, to say it your way, you know. Um, and that's not something you find a lot with the larger companies, anyway. Yeah, they, if you get lucky, they may give you your voice or whatever, but they will come back to you and say, "We don't like this. We want you to change this. Um, this is a little, you know, you know." That's something that I don't approve of. So, yeah doing it doing it the way you've done it is is the best way, in my opinion, to go now.
5: Well, see, like uh, like Mike is a, a graphic artist, and I have a degree in graphic arts, also. And I've, you know, I've, I used to lay out Sunday magazines and stuff like that, so I'm able right. to uh, lay out the art and the writing as I go. And right. Not everybody who writes has that uh, that going them. That's
0: system. right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been everything from an art director to a creative director, uh, graphic designer, um, um, computer artist, uh, headed up the graphics department for a city newspaper. And that's right. I mean, we have the experience to do this stuff ourselves. And that's so something you remember
5: that, it, you remember what an X-Acto knife is?
0: Oh. <laughs> I've got two sets right here I'm looking at them right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, people now, you know, they they what you have is you have people who will buy a Microsoft Office suite and all of a sudden they're publishers. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you know, we uh, you you and I know what mechanicals are. Yeah. Right. I'm sure Tim does, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the first book
5: I ever did, I had to lay the pages out on a big sheet where I think it was eight pages to a sheet. Yeah. And and you yeah. had to figure out how it was going to fold so everything would right. come out right. right.
0: Yeah, I you mean, have to do a dummy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we always had to do dummies. We would do little elaborate uh, mock-ups of the publication. Fold it. And then number the pages,
5: right. and even in the newspaper then business, you have it so to do you would that. know how to lay it out.
0: Right, exactly, and then, yeah, even in the newspaper business, you you had to do that. Um, but you know, um, things have definitely changed. I, I'm not going to say, you know, there are some things that are for the better. There are others that are not.
5: I can um, tell you right some, off the bat, writing at a computer sure beats a typewriter. It does. <laughs> it does. Yeah.
1: I have to agree with that. <laughs> the very first book I,
5: oh, I did was done on a typewriter, and I could I would do my writing in the morning, and I would tear off pieces, and then I would tape them together, and there would be wads of paper on the floor. And, you know, now you can copy and paste and move it around. and it's
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, was, and you, it built up your fingers, that's for sure. <laughs>
5: up for certain. Yeah. All right. Well, uh
1: guys, let me uh, let me interrupt you here. Let's uh let's go ahead and go uh to our break here and uh uh get that out of the way and when we come back, uh, uh Mary will continue our conversation and I want to get into a little bit more about uh, your uh, uh your your website uh, uh, Skyships over uh Okay. So, uh, okay, everyone, you're listening to uh, The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. We will be right back with uh, uh, more from our guest, uh, Mary Joyce. So please stay tuned.
0: It is about the implementation of the Mark of the Beast. I spoke to you about that, I think, two weeks ago. We address Revelation chapter 13, verses 16, 17, and 18. And he calls it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands. or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, say he had the mark or the name or the number of the beast. Here is wisdom. Let him that have understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man.
3: His number is six hundred, three score and.
4: They said Halloween 2012, just about three steps from hell, three slices, cross, cross his the jug of vein, before we fell, pull back the veil, that's where it gets thin, feel that knife along the side of his ribs, and crawl inside his skin, Wearing an asshole. asshole, non-believer like a bathrobe, splash oh. phones with acid scar, face and reversal speech, in his verse, if you wanna hear Satan, when we speaking back, we sharpen up the swords and battle axes, walking up the skies on the doom, planning as it spins, off office axes let the trumpets go on and blow, as the announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council.
2: Only in the forest can you see this. (coughs) But nothing beats the moment
4: you see that. Cool!
2: That's your child's eyes opening up to a world of possibilities.
4: There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. And you might just see this. Visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge. Is the moment I knew that for him.
3: You can't. See the top of that
4: thing! Even the sky has no limit. There
2: are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at
4: discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council.
3: You're listening to the Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz. Only on PSN Radio.
0: Outer Edge. Um, I'm Mike Mott here with Tim Schwartz and our very special guest tonight, Mary Joyce. And we were talking about little people from the Cherokee legends and, and other legends and, and related topics. And coming into the after the break, you will listen to my ac- actually to my daughter Audrey Mott uh, playing and singing a cover of uh, a song by a different group, and I cannot remember what they're called actually. <laughs> but uh, um, but anyway, she uh, she's good. She can sing. And yeah, play that's- and- Nice song, so, nice song. Yeah, but anyway, uh, Mary, when we, when we went to break, we were talking about uh, you. Getting, we were starting to talk about your website a little bit. Uh, Tim, was there anything else you wanted to to ask her about that? No, no. Let's
1: uh, let's let's talk about uh, uh, Skyships over uh, cashiers. I mean, if uh, uh, if those in our audience have not come across this site, I highly recommend you go to it because it is just uh, it's chock full of uh, just just great information. And, uh, and how long how long have you been working on this uh, site, Mary?
5: Uh, we started it in 2008. Mm. So uh, we've been updating it uh, every week with uh, usually two or three stories a week, except during the holidays when the webmaster went on vacation. Um, but um, there's a lot of information there, and there's information in the archives of every section that will have information that would be new to so many people. So it's not just uh, the current things that are, uh, you know, of value. And it's interesting, the connections that we make. Uh, we got a contact from a man who lives in the Netherlands, and uh, uh, he, he found the website, and he was doing something really, really unique. Uh, he's a computer quiz, and he's been able to take NASA photos of these large motherships that appear occasionally around the sun, Mm -hmm. He's able to, as he says, dust and clean them, and the structures are phenomenal. And we started posting his stuff. um, There's some from from this past year, uh, 2014, but we really posted a lot in 2013. So if people go into the Global Links section uh, and into the archives for 2013, uh, you'll see some phenomenal structures. And um they look like giant ships or i mean like um uh, sailing ships and you can see the compartments you can see geometric shapes you can it's it's just quite incredible and wow. all of them are bigger than uh jupiter um so that alone is kind of uh, fascinating to look at but that's just one thing we deal with uh, the undercover operations that uh, the government gets into, we have underground facilities in this area in the mountains. Uh, right. One, the most recent one was built uh, underneath the Smoky Mountain National Park, which is adjacent to the uh, Cherokee Indian Reservation.
0: Where a lot of disappearances take place.
5: I've heard that. I've yeah. heard that, but I have yeah, not do. done my own research on that one. So.
0: Well, what are your thoughts on, uh, have you heard of the Brown Mountain Lights?
5: Yes, and we have done articles and videos on that. Um, one of the men who's considered an expert on it has been following our website since we first started. and um, yeah, Okay, well, we need to get you that. in
0: touch with Micah Hanks. Do you know Micah? I don't. Yeah, Micah has uh, written quite a bit on that. He's in Asheville. Uh, okay. Yeah.
5: And Asheville's not that far away from the Brown Mountain Lights. Probably get it right. get there in about an hour.
0: Very interesting.
5: So, but there, that's not the only place. There's there's places around uh, the parkway where the same phenomena with the lights uh, show up. Right. Um, um, you know, we we actually have lots of stuff going on in the air here. We have man-made uh, UFOs. We have uh, ones that seem to be clearly from other places. Uh, they come in different sizes, different shapes. Uh, people see them uh, close up, but they see them far away. Um, you know it's a very active area, and that's why that's why we have the name. It's called Skyships over Cashers Cashers is um, uh, a high end uh, community at the top of the mountain uh, right. near here here and uh, uh, a gal that we know she uh, had never seen a UFO. She's lived on several continents, and one night she saw this huge light in her backyard and um, she thought, my God, that can't be the moon. And here was a, a very low-hovering UFO over her backyard. And at that time, she and her mother and her 8-year-old daughter were all living in the same house. And, of course, the two adults were talking about this the next morning. The 8-year-old is hearing all this. She then um, has her cell phone camera with her, and when they went grocery shopping, uh, she was out in the parking lot just, Snapping pictures of the sky, she got what I would call is a stereotypical uh, saucer-shaped UFO smack in the middle of the sun. Nobody could see it because you can't look right at the sun. Right. Showed up. It showed up on the cell phone camera and her picture was the first. But actually, was the inspiration for even starting the uh, the uh, uh, the website. And uh, but it's gone way beyond just cashers. Wow.
0: It's pretty wild.
5: Now, you'll, you'll find this interesting. Um, when, that first, when we had a couple of those stories that happened all close together, I did an article for their local paper, and um, it's called the Crossroads, I believe. It's just right. a little dinky paper. I mean, not a big deal at all. And so they wrote up our story. And um, about ten days later, I get a call from somebody involved with Mufon and he said that a friend of his has a son who flies on Air Force One, and they were talking about that article on Air Force One. And I'm going, that gives you a clue that there's a lot of stuff going on in this area if, if they're discussing right. a little two-bit article on Air right. Force One. Well,
0: that shows you that there is something to all of this stuff, that they do pay attention to it and to those of us who talk about it. And the 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 best thing they can do is either to make sure you are ignored if possible and if not ignored then you're ridiculed and and not take it seriously, but they do pay attention
5: yeah uh, that that actually surprised me when it first happened.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, you do this long enough, you'll find that, that nothing will surprise you anymore. <laughs> true, true. Uh, so now, um, how do you uh, 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 how do you how do you get your information, and ha- and and how do you decide what uh, what will go up on your site and what doesn't?
5: Um, there's two of us here that make all those kind of decisions. Uh, what what goes up and what doesn't. Um, but um, it, it's sort of like what sounds interesting to us is what goes up there. I, I don't know. The, the answer is not any more complicated than that.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I mean, do you uh, uh, do people send you stuff? Do you just like, you know, every day just uh, go through? You know, like the uh, uh, daily updates, you know, uh, across the web, or just a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B.
5: I'd be both.
1: Mm-hmm. it would be both,
5: and yeah. one person will lead me to another, and uh, and I just get stuff out of the blue. Like the man with the great photos of uh, the giant ships around the sun. He just saw the website and and contacted us, and then um, during the holidays we got a email that came through at. Uh, quarter to four in the morning, and it was a couple uh, heading home after the holidays, and they saw five lights in a row, um, uh, you know, and they reported it. Um, I used to work um, in a a place here locally where there was a lot of people that would come in, and I would um, essentially get to know the people pretty well, and because of that, that's how the stories with the Cherokee Little People uh, came to be, because they began to trust me and they would start to share things with me. Right. Um, um, that, uh, that there was a real advantage to being in a place where people felt comfortable coming in and talking with me. And there was one gal, she and her husband would come in, and all I knew was that he worked for the, um, um, uh, the park system. And they would come in and start these conversations with me and just kind of dance around what they were concerned about. And I bet you it was a month, if not a a year, before she finally opened up, and she had been testing me to see if she could trust me. And her her father had been involved in very high secretive work when she was a child, and her story is rather elaborate, and we did put it on the website. Uh, And she was the one that first told us about one of the underground facilities uh, here in this area. And like I said, she tested me for at least months before she opened up with me because she wanted to make sure that I could be trusted. So Hmm. there's an advantage to being in a spot where people can kind of come to you, I guess.
1: Now, when when she talks about a uh, underground facility, is she talking about a uh, a a military installation? (laughs) Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh oh,
5: yeah. Oh yeah. And there's uh, the the newest one is the one that's been built under under the Smoky Mountains National Park near Cherokee, and um, I have a story under uh, a category called Deep Throat Testimonies, and this is from a military man uh, who we gave him an alternate name. And he even got pictures of some of these big um, airplanes coming in that uh, do cargo drops. Um, there's, we had episodes with people running into um, people with big machine guns uh, mm. when they would get close to that area. There were times when roads were um, uh, cut off. I'm talking about more like back roads. And then people would hear uh, underground um, like pile driving beneath the ground. Uh, Right. This this would go on for a while and then it would stop. Right. Uh, A similar type thing happened uh, along the parkway. There's a a place called, uh, this is kind of funny, actually, it's called Devil's Tower, and it is the closest um, landmark to one of the underground facilities uh, called PERI, P-A-R-I is how it's known. It stands for the Pisca Astronomical Research Institute. And it's sort of a we had really a top-notch uh, undercover guy who's it uh, knows a lot he, he, he has all these top secret clearances and he says there is a city-sized uh, facility there that's totally self-sufficient um, that's seven stories deep or six yeah. i can't remember. yeah this sounds
0: like uh they're preparing for a major major um, planetary event and they've been doing this for Decades now. And, you know, there are entire networks of underground uh, railways, underground highways, and 99.999% of the population not only don't know that they exist, they don't know that they paid for it. Okay, no, right. So, so right. when this happens, whatever's coming, when it does happen, um, the rest of us are just out of luck.
5: Well, see, we um, have stories of uh, people from Atlanta, not too far from like Dobson uh, uh, Air Force Base. Um, here in this area, here in North Carolina, going up toward Washington, all underground uh, connected. Um, yeah. yeah, If you've seen, I'm sure you have these big boring machines that can right. do yes. uh, like seven miles in a day carving yeah, and, through And they,
0: they do exist, yeah.
5: Right, and they're the ones that periodically people will hear those underground sounds and they'll go on for a while and then you don't hear them anymore.
0: That's right, exactly. And and. You know the thing is that uh, I I think that there are several events they're preparing for that they've known about. Some of them are probably astronomical events and and other things. And it, it really is bothersome to know that.
5: Well, some um, of them were originally de- uh, developed um, for the Cold War out of nuclear fear, yeah. right?
0: But so, even yeah, but even even that, I mean, they're not real concerned with the population no
5: Mm-mm.
0: no uh, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about the uh the reservoir in the area that disappeared
5: um, well, there's been a number of things where the water will just uh, that it, that's near some of these places will just suddenly do a major drop and yeah. uh, um, that's happening near you know at least one of these facilities that we know of. Well, there's more than one uh the two biggest ones that we know of in this area both have um uh, the the water disappearing thing, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, you're right.
0: Yeah, they're getting ready for sure. Huh?
5: So
1: now, uh, have you uh, have you been interested in the UFO phenomena for a while before you uh, started this website?
5: Uh, yeah, but not enough to uh, want to start a website. Uh, I used to live in Florida, lived on the beach between Patrick Air Force Base and uh, the Kennedy Space Center or Cape Canaveral, whatever they call it now,
4: mm-hmm. and uh,
5: um, often saw UFOs in Florida. I uh, used to uh, travel around the state and do lectures on uh, UFOs in, in Florida, um, but you know, didn't start the website until we were up here with the, the sighting of cashers. And, I, you know, just living on the beach, you would see stuff, uh, especially in that military area. And, again, you always have to sort it out. You never know for sure. Are they ours or somebody else's? Exactly. Sometimes it's really clear that they're not ours, and other times it's not. Hmm. Yeah. Did you ever see... I'm always suspicious of the triangular ones because I I think there's more military ones that are shaped that way.
0: Did you ever see any... Uh, unknown craft coming and going from the ocean when you were down there.
5: Yes. Yeah.
0: Really? Oh, sure. I know a lot of people that have seen them down there.
5: And also, there would be activity when there was a launch.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
5: Oh, that's
1: interesting, huh? So, uh, the uh, what would you say would be the uh, the most impressive sighting that uh, that you saw when you were living down there? Something that really st- st- stands out in your memory, even today.
5: That's a hard well, one. Comes, no, no, no. The ones the things that pop at mind don't, don't really answer your question. I was down there driving down the road when the uh, space shuttle um, exploded. Right, and I was going to ask you about the first that. Thing, that's the first thing that popped in my head when you asked that, and right. not really the really. answer to your question. But that really, yeah. Quite an
0: impression on me. Yeah, I was watching that live from California when it happened. Um, but, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to ask you about that, because when you said something about the launch, that was the very first thing I thought of. And I guess you've seen, at the time, there were rumors that it was a Russian thing, that there's some, there's some frame of film somewhere that allegedly shows an object, fire a beam, at the Challenger. Have you ever seen that or heard of that?
5: I have not. I have not. Yeah. And the, actually, for a while it existed I but I can't find had, it. And I saw I saw it live with my own eyes. Yeah. I didn't see anything like that with my eyes. That doesn't mean that something like no, that yeah. did not
0: happen. Right. It was only camera. one angle of one camera that apparently captured this, but it may not it may have been a an amateur video. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I was I've been looking for that. I can't find it, but I know that I saw it. Um mm-hmm. It was on one of the old UFO shows back in like the early, early nineties. Um, mm. you know, might have been the one that Jonathan Frakes did. What was that called? The first uh, one that yeah, he Yeah, I know what yeah, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. But, I can't, yeah. Yeah. but uh yeah. yeah. Very interesting. That that you know, I've always heard that there was an uptick in UFO sightings during and around uh launches. Right. So
5: Yeah, mm. I, you you could see it. So it yeah. was an int- I guess that would probably uh, answer your question to see them yeah. when a launch was going off. Mm-hmm. Well, uh,
1: Mary, unfortunately, we are almost out of time here. We have just a, a, a couple of minutes left in our show. So um, why don't you uh, tell our audience uh, where they can uh, uh, find your book and, uh, uh, and then the uh, uh, URL of, the, of your website.
5: Okay. All righty. Uh Both books, uh, Cherokee Little People Were Real and the other one, Tangible Evidence of Jesus Left Behind for Us to Find. Both are available at Amazon. If people prefer to uh, support a, 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 a small ind- independent store, they can go to citylightsnc.com. The NC stands for North Carolina. And the website, it only has one word that needs to be spelled out, and that's cashers. It's C A S. Hiers, and the the website is skyshipsovercashiers dot com, and uh, I encourage people not only to look at what we have posted right now, but to uh, check out the website. Uh, I mean the archives uh, for any of those sections.
1: All right, and uh, cool. what's and what's uh, what's coming next for you? You have anything uh, uh, in well, the, the works the, that? Uh...
5: Well, for the website, we always have something going. Uh, the um, there's. If you were talking about the the Christian aspect, um, in December it just came out that they found the uh, crucifixion nails for Jesus, uh-huh. and that will be uh, posted sometime this week. Um, that's probably the more unusual one. Uh, then we have the top ten UFO hotspots uh, for you know for the world. Uh, those are two things that are going up uh, this week, plus some. Some other things we have a health and safety section in the website, and we're—I um, I can remember the title. It's uh, why um, autism increased 78% in three years, and it goes back wow. to Monsanto, and mm-hmm. it's by a, a research scientist. And we also did some wonderful stories that got picked up, thank God, by a lot of people about how colloidal silver um, can even kill Ebola. And since oh, wow. one of the countries uh um over in Western Africa um took the advice to do that and uh, they began to have major improvements. So Wow, um,
1: that's very cool. Yeah. Mm, it is. All right. Well uh fortunately now, Mary, we are out of time and it was fun uh, so talking
5: it, to you. Thank you so well, much. You well,
1: Hang, hang on the line here, Mary. Let's finish up the show, and uh, we want to uh, say a few words to you after we get off the air. Okay. So So, um, so for everyone out there, you've been listening to the Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. I'm Tim Schwartz uh, with Mike Mott. Our guest tonight has been Mary A. Joyce. So tune in uh, next week. I think uh, Tim Beckley is going to be uh, with us next week, Mike. So as always, right, that sounds always, good, man. That's always, uh, always exciting. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, uh, uh, thanks for listening everyone and, uh, uh, be sure to tune in, uh, uh real soon. So, uh, good night.